Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where you'll receive a boost of inspiration, practical advice, and tools to maximize your success and personal happiness. And that's not all. You'll also get plenty of guidance on how you can use your gifts, talents, and compassion to contribute towards making the world a better place. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a preview of what's in store and to also receive a free ebook. To sign up, simply visit www.thedreamcatch.com. Now it's my pleasure to introduce you to the host of the Dreamcatcher podcast, Celine Chinoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dreamcatcher podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. Ever wonder what it takes to live a legendary life? My guest, Dr. Rob Carpenter, believes that everyone can live a legendary life, but only those bold and brave enough actually do, and we all have what it takes to be one of them. Dr. Rob is an author, UCLA faculty member, and creative leader. His works have appeared in People magazine, The New York Times, and Business Insider, among others. He previously worked at the two-time Emmy Award-winning USC Media Institute for Social Change. Based on the principles of his new book, Icons and Legends, Success Strategies of the World's Most Influential Celebrities, Rob shares the secrets iconic celebrities have used to live their dream life. More importantly, he explains how to apply their secrets to your life starting right now. As always, if you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks. Icons and Legends, Success Strategies of the World's Most Influential Celebrities. Um, I really enjoyed reading it. Lots of gems of wisdom. And uh, obviously, we won't be able to cover all of it. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about some it's of the ones. pages long, so... <laughs> yeah, 400 pages text. long. <laughs> yeah, so it's impossible to... to you know, go through all of it. So, you know, I encourage all of you to get the book uh, if you find our discussion interesting. But anyway, let's start talking about the inspiration behind the book, Rob. Uh, sure. What what compelled you to create this uh, comprehensive, uh, I don't know, um, collection of life lessons from these, I'd say, 46 celebrities? Yeah, 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 yeah good, yeah, 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 good, so good, good merits there. I was on set with The Rock for a show called Ballers, and I remember just be being in admiration of him. I grew up watching him when he was a wrestler on television, and then being on set with him, I noticed how focused he was. I noticed how kind he was, how caring he was, and I started to research him a bit more after that, and I said, this man has such incredible wisdom, such incredible insights about life, and I wonder if other people in his position have the same thing. And so, I started just kind of digging around with celebrities and I realized that there's a lot more profound insights that they have to offer. And I didn't think that there was another book like it. So I said, let's put one together and make it available for folks so that they can take all of these great things that celebrities have learned in their lives and pass them on to us, even if we're not actors, even if we're not directors, even if we're not in entertainment. So I wanted to create something that was not just inspirational, but it also provided proverbs and life lessons for folks of all backgrounds. And it's really inspired by that time with The Rock. He was so kind and I just said, wow, this guy has a lot of insight just based on what I was researching about him and finding out about him and a lot more cerebral than we might think. And a lot of these celebrities are a lot more cerebral than we might think, a lot more thoughtful, a lot more strategic. And so I was just very inspired and impressed by many of them because I think a lot of times we don't give them enough credit for you know, just them being thinkers or for them putting into effect strategies that can really put them into positions of success. So it was kind of a combination of all those things, but really that one encounter with The Rock inspired me to, to kind of dig deeper. Okay, yeah, The Rock comes across as someone who is extremely hardworking and 
very humble too. Like mm -hmm. despite being one of the highest paid celebrities on the planet, he he hasn't forgotten what really matters and he hasn't forgotten, you know, what he went through, you know, his history. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. He was addicted when he was a child multiple times. He was cut from his high school or his, his professional football team only had seven dollars to his name. And so he had a lot of those formative experiences which were traumatic for him. And so it instilled inside of him this work ethic to never experience those things again. And actually a common thread throughout the book, many celebrities had very traumatic experiences growing up in their childhoods. Most of them didn't come from from fame or from fortune, at least the legends in this book. And they come from a different era for, for many of them. And so they were oftentimes trying to work to escape and to avoid that type of pain. And so they didn't want their families to experience what they experienced. And The Rock is just one example of that. But there are people like Marilyn Monroe and so many, Charlie Chaplin and so many others who we would be surprised at how much poverty they lived in and just some of their dire circumstances. Okay. And what was the common thread among all these stories besides their difficult past? Mm -hmm. What did you, what were the commonalities that you found? So I think for them, they had a relentless optimism. I think it's fashionable these days for people to be cynical, for people to be pessimistic, for people to believe in this thing called declinism bias, which basically means the world's going to get worse and it's getting worse and nothing ever changed that. But these icons, Celine, actually had the opposite effect. They believed that things were going to get better, not just for them, but for the people around them and for the world. And so that was one commonality that they all had from the time they were small going all the way through. It doesn't mean they didn't have moments where they didn't feel sad or depressed or hurt or traumatized, but they always believed in themselves. They had this notion of what I call TB, true believerism. So they were sincere and that they truly believed, almost to a delusional extent. If, I think some people, if they didn't have the success they had, people would say there's something wrong with how much hope they have for the future. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one commonality was the hope that they had. They never let their setbacks extinguish that hope, extinguish that flame that they had. Okay, interesting. And what was your selection process like? Um, because I saw some, I, I mean, I went through the list of celebrities mm -hmm. and there were some that was like, yeah, I can see why you would add them. It was like mm -hmm. obvious, like Oprah, uh, Kevin Hart, like The Rock, Angelina mm -hmm. Jolie. Uh, but there were some that some of them who I was a little bit curious about, like why would he add, you know, so and so? I don't want to name them. I couldn't really see it, so I'm curious. To, and there were some who I felt should have been in the list. Yeah, that's just my opinion. Yeah, right? no, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I'm curious to know, like, what was what went behind the selection process? Absolutely, that's a fantastic question. I think it's always arbitrary when we write these books in terms of who we include, who we don't include. I wanted to include more, but the book was just fattening and lengthy, and I wanted to keep it sort of as yeah. as undense as possible. And it also wasn't really meant as an encyclopedia, but there will be multiple versions of this. So this is just the first and what I hope to be either a trilogy or oh, multiple really? volumes okay. of books. And so, Really, it was the celebrities that spoke to me at the time of writing. I was just, I was just struck by certain ones. I wanted to balance old school and new school. I wanted to balance like men and women. I wanted to balance sort of yeah. diverse backgrounds, starting with mm -hmm. The Rock, going you know all the way to Humphrey Bogart, and different people all the way within writers, directors, you know, celebrities. And so it, there wasn't really anything other than an arbitrary selection process of I really felt inspired by them at the time. And I wanted to make sure that they were balanced and that it was inclusive of various backgrounds, not just in the United States, but really from other parts of the world of people who have made it and who've had global celebrity. I think that was another thing as well, that we have a lot of famous people these days, but we have very few global celebrities. I think there was a quote in there from, Humphrey Bogart or somebody who who said yeah, that you're not famous in, in, yeah. <laughs> in Karachi, <laughs> then they didn't, you're not famous. And and so, yeah. you know, I, I wanted to kind of include those types of people. But with writing books or with any of these things, it's you, you kind of take pains to try to be inclusive as possible, but you know that you'll miss people. There are a lot of people that I wrote chapters on that I didn't include in the book, knowing that they'll come in subsequent volumes. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And you refer to these celebrities as legends and mm -hmm. the word legend 
can seem kind of intimidating to people mm -hmm. because it seems like you have to achieve something extraordinary and you have to be this sort of larger than life figure. Um, so is it something that is reachable? Like how do, how do you mm -hmm. find legendary? Ooh, that's that's a great question. So I wouldn't define it as fame or fortune. I wouldn't define it as outside success. I would define it as, and it's going to sound strange, as sincerity. I would define it as people who were sincere, who were authentic, and who went after what they perceived to be their truth. And in the process, they inspired other people, and they remade the status quo in their image. Now, they happen to have outsized results in terms of global fame and global fortune, but really anybody who lives a sincere life, and so many of us are caught up in this sort of pressure to conform, this pressure to sort of be like everyone else. You know, our similarity creates our comfort but our difference creates our reward, but there's so much pressure from school and from work and from family to be like other people that it's hard to be sincere in our lives. And I think to be legendary, it's a person who is sincere and, and who basically goes after their goal with all of that sincerity and then they reach it. And I think, so you can be a legend without being famous. You can be a legend without being rich. You can be a legend. And it, and it's not just about achieving sort of immortality. It's about essentially reaching your truth. And it, there's nothing more inspiring than seeing somebody who believes in something and goes after it, and who truly does. And they're not just yeah. posturing, they're not just positioning themselves, they're not just being strategic. I've been around so many famous people, and a lot of them, it's just about the next thing. They're just angling, they're curious. Yeah. And, but there's a difference when that truly believes, and there's an admiration. And in our personal lives, you can see people who, again, it's a bad example, but Mother Teresa, she sincerely believed. Yeah. And there's something that that belief did to the people around her. Yes. And I think so in our lives, if we want to be legends, it's sort of saying, okay, we need to be sincere in what we're going after. We need to drop the doubts. And that has, a, 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 it's infectious to others. So being legendary is, is being infectiously sincere and hopeful and optimistic and sort of saying, I'm not going to let anything stop me. And yeah. I think these celebrities really mastered that. These icons really mastered that. These, I, these legends really mastered that. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great answer. And you say that legend being a legend has nothing to do with material success and fame. So can someone be a legend, even if they don't really mm, have anything to show for it, or like they don't really achieve, like, something that's very visible? Hmm. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question i think there are a lot of people, people who try right like for instance like yeah. in hollywood it's very hard to break into the industry mm -hmm. and there might have been people who have tried their best to get a break to, you know they've tried to make all the connections they can but they didn't really land mm -hmm. a big role or they weren't able to get uh, into a studio uh you know to you know to, to i don't know to help out in, in mm -hmm. whatever capacity so i mean do these people can you consider them a legend in some sense? I don't know if that makes yeah, sense. I, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think there are a lot of people who are famous today, for example, who weren't famous when they were alive. So you have people like Emily Dickinson, you have people like Van Gogh. You have so many others who nobody knew who they were. And then yeah. upon their death or decades or centuries later, people discovered them. I would still consider them legends in their own time. And I think it goes to intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation and rewards so i think you can be i think what makes you legendary what makes you iconic is being inspired to do things for their own sake and going after them for their own sake as opposed to just going after them for the reward going after them for the validation going after them for the result and so i think that at least in my mind think about personal mentors and think about people that have truly changed their lives they typically aren't the folks that have the outsized achievements and awards they're typically the folks who are coming in day in and day out and who are enjoying their journeys and so i think you can i think you're more of a legend if you enjoy the journey you enjoy the pursuit you enjoy the path you enjoy 
what you're going through as opposed to being fixated on whatever that end result is. And I think it's interesting because the more you enjoy the journey, typically the more the end result is going to manifest itself in a strange kind of way. And so I've just noticed in my own life, I've noticed with these celebrities that the more like, but we talked my, with my first book, The Four Dollars of Happiness, and I really enjoyed that. But I really enjoyed writing this book because it, was, it wasn't about what would the public think or what would readers think. It was I was doing this because I was inspired. I just wanted to do it. And I would do it if I didn't release it. And I think it's the same thing with these celebrities. They, they will take these acting roles or they'll take these jobs just because they want to challenge themselves as opposed to getting global adulation. And I think for mm-hmm. folks uh, kind of on the everyday level, it's are you doing things because you want to do them or are you doing things just for the reward? Mm-hmm. And so I think you can live a legendary life even if nobody knows it because at least you're sincere and you're enjoying yourself. Yeah. 85% of people, Celine, don't like their jobs. And you know, only one out of five celebrities is happy. And so yeah. it should, and a lot of times people are doing these things because they feel that they have to, they feel burdened by these things. But the people yeah. that do like the, their jobs, they do like their lives, they do pursue things for the joy of them, they're legends in my mind. Yes, yes. And this is such an important message because the younger generations like Gen Z, they are pursuing fame. They're, you know, they want to get a certain number of followers on social media. They want all the, you know, they want all the glamour, a lot of them, um, mm-hmm. without really understanding that joy really comes from the doing, right? Following your passion and being intrinsically motivated. So I think this message is super important for the younger generations to understand. No, absolutely. I think that's, that's the number one job desire in the world is to be an influencer, to be famous for being famous. And I think right. that's the difference between yes. Gen Z and even some millennials versus these icons and legends that they actually did things. They pursued goals. Yes. And the goal wasn't to be famous. Fame is such a hollow goal. I wish if I could talk to every Gen Z or out there or some millennials yeah. and really kind of show them the people who have achieved the fame have all said that it's been one of the worst curses that they could have ever had, almost every in every single case, that they didn't like it that it was fulfilling for a certain period of time and then they ended up hating it because in many ways it almost destroyed lots yeah. of them i heard tdj say something about that um, i know mm. he's not a, he's not a i don't know can you consider him like he's not really but well yeah he has directed movies so yeah you could consider yeah, him he's got some movies. but yeah he he i remember him saying that he really didn't like the fame initially because of all the criticism uh that comes with it you know all the haters Absolutely. come out and they all go after you so it's not all that it, it's cut out to be no absolutely and a lot of times people pursue fame because they feel insecure they don't feel worthy right. enough and they think that that's going to heal some void in their soul and then they get it and they realize it didn't fix anything and then so they don't have escape routes and become even more unhappy and think they need more what's interesting is it, you know, when we reach a goal, it releases dopamine in our system, releases that pleasure chemical. When people become famous, it releases that pleasure chemical. But basically, they need more and more fame in order to have more and more of that dopamine released in their minds, released in their systems. And it's the same thing was true on, on an everyday level. People want likes on Facebook because it releases dopamine in their system. So dopamine, it's also the, the addiction you know, neurochemical in our bodies. It's the same chemical that is released if we get a fancy new car or buy a fancy new home or buy a fancy new outfit. So we're addicted to these neurochemicals. And when people become famous, become addicted to it, even though it's harming them. And so it's a, it's a really interesting double-edged sword. So what is it that motivated these legends? Like mm-hmm. they weren't addicted to fame and the dopamine, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't in that, that vicious cycle. So what is it that motivated them. I, I mean, I know it'll be different for each of them, but what was, you know, what was the the main one that you noticed? Ooh, I think, I think it was to truly be relentless in reaching what they thought the world didn't, and providing what they thought the world didn't have. And so there was just this, like Marilyn Monroe, for example, she's one of my favorite celebrities because I think she's misunderstood. I think she's mischaracterized. And she really wanted to provide a great service. She's known as a sex symbol, but nevertheless, she was one of the smartest people behind the scenes. She was one of the most prolific workers. Before she passed, she made 35 movies, and she was only 36 years old when she passed. 
And she was very hardworking, and she wanted to provide a new type of entertainment. She wanted to provide uh, a new type of character. She didn't want to play the dumb blonde. She wanted to make people happy. And, and so essentially what unites all of them is they all wanted to provide something that they felt the world was lacking, that it was a company trying to provide a good or a service. So they wanted to step in that void and say, I'm going to offer myself in terms of making other people's lives better. So there was kind of a social mission in some ways to many of these celebrities that they really wanted to add themselves. And their gift was them. It wasn't just you know, something external to them, it was them, their, their personality, it was their look, it was the intonation of their voice, it was their talent, how they inhabited characters, and those types of things, their, so they really... Yeah, how about their creativity? Because you had some creative giants mm -hmm. on that list. I mean, you mm -hmm. had uh, Steven Spielberg, mm -hmm. George Lucas, Walt Disney, you know, like massive, like they were pioneers, right? They mm -hmm. came, came up with movies and entertainment forms that were you know unheard of like completely original absolutely um, so yeah i think creativity mm -hmm. and the drive for excellence could mm -hmm. be another driving force yeah absolutely so i think i think many of them were creative interestingly enough i'm not sure how many of them saw themselves as creative i think they saw themselves as wanting to do something new and different and build upon the legends of the past and so a lot of innovation comes from combining two old ideas and mixing into something new. And so I think a lot of them would say that they're literally just reinterpreting the past to create something new. They're modernizing it or they're combining things it, it, to a, a degree that it makes it seem creative or seem innovative. And But I think that was one thing that they were unafraid of criticism of being able to do things that were seemingly avant-garde, that were out of the ordinary. And a lot of times they weren't doing it just to be avant-garde. I remember Years ago, when I was living in New York, this is maybe around 2006, I, I, for giggles, auditioned for The Real World, which was a show on MTV that our generation watched. And I just, it, it was down the street from where I was living. And I remember seeing a guy and he basically said, oh, I'm just different, I'm avant-garde. And he, he, being avant-garde, being different was the end goal. And whereas with Spielberg or with, Disney or with some of these others, it was just a means to the end. They just wanted to produce their vision and it wasn't being different for the sake of being different. And you know, we see so many celebrities show up, particularly at the Grammys or the Met or some of these places and they have these fantastical outfits on and they're trying to draw attention to themselves. And these icons, it wasn't about drawing attention to themselves, it was about producing excellence and, and fulfilling the vision, not just being known as being creative it was never mm -hmm. i'm the most creative person look at me yeah, it was yeah, something yeah. deeper i think yeah they, yeah, they, they were much yeah. deeper than many of the celebrities we see today okay yeah yeah what do you think about this new trend of using the, their platform like a lot of celebrities are using their platform mm -hmm. to um, promote certain ideologies mm -hmm. and to virtue signal <laughs> um, do you think that is something that takes away from the work that they're doing and the, their talent? I know it's a bit controversial, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that. That's a, no, that's absolutely, I'm glad you asked that, fantastic. I think in some ways, depending on who they are and what they're doing, can be good. Like Angelina Jolie, I think has an incredible platform for good. She won't really use, use her platform anything other than helping refugees, helping the least of these, having an incredible focus on the poor. She won't grant an interview unless it's really about that or about how she can talk about her struggles so that other people are going through what she's gone through, can identify and find healing and find meaning and find a pathway out. So I think you have some good examples like that. But I also think you have other celebrities who, like you said, are going into this virtual signaling. And, you know, we exist, I like to say, for people who are familiar with the, the book of judges in the Old Testament or Torah, they're essentially they were tribal factions. Mm -hmm. And I think today we're in a lot of tribal factions. And so people mm -hmm. and celebrities included are virtual signaling okay. to their tribe. And they... Right. Are, and they are essentially saying, my tribe is the best, even though they, they don't analyze their tribe, they don't analyze the assumptions and the biases and the limitations of their tribe, they say, but my tribe is the best, your tribe isn't, and so therefore I'm gonna put myself out there. And I think people have to be very careful, not just for purposes of branding, but also I think we need more 
intellectual humility in it. I think celebrities need to recognize that that if their celebrity is not a function of their activism and they haven't become famous of that, that it may end up earning them more enemies and may end up contributing to, I think, a very coarse dialogue. Our dialogue has completely suffered in this country. I think we're in the age of argumentation. And I, I don't think that it is a positive thing to just add fuel to the fire. I think that we need healing in this country. I think we need people who come together around civility and positive discussion. Celebrities should lend their voice to that. They should lend their voice to this notion of forgiveness and, and uplifting other people, not tearing down others. We're not going to get anywhere by fighting fire with fire. And I yeah. think we've forgotten that. And I think a lot of celebrities have forgotten that. And they're using their platform in a way that is not beneficial to them or to society. And right. when we look back on it at the end, we'll realize, wait a second, what was I doing? I was just contributing to hate and not love. Yeah. And a lot of the people think that they don't have credibility because, uh, mm. you know, they they come from this, they kind of live in a bubble, right? Mm. And they're in the palatial estates and in mm -hmm. Hollywood. So what do they know about the real problems of, you know, the mm. people face? So it's like, it did they can just come across as being preachy mm. and uh, mm -hmm. I, I i'm wondering how how the legends that you covered in this book did they do any of that did they use their platforms to to you know campaign for their beliefs or is that something that they just stayed away from Ooh, that's a good question early hollywood they it's interesting hollywood 100 years ago it was all republican hollywood now is almost all democrat and these things yeah. constantly shift and depending on the person they did use their platform but it was it's always been controversial and they you know there are more these days because i think it's more socially acceptable and i also think you know back then hollywood celebrities they like to cultivate mystery they like to cultivate this persona of you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes you don't really know what i'm thinking you don't really know where my position is on this issue or that issue and yeah. You know, there are some who, who, who didn't do that, like Audrey Hepburn, she was a little different, but, or Catherine Hepburn, excuse me. But I think you have celebrities these days that they don't cultivate mystery. It's, we're going to have a reality show if we're not relevant anymore in television or movies or music. And we're going to put everything out there for everyone to see. And we're going to use our, our yeah. platform to promote these causes. And yeah. I just really think that, you know, it, that's the big difference between the old school generation and the new school generation. Yeah. And I'm not sure though, if you look at the efficacy of the results of the promoting, using the platforms, if it's actually made any difference or if it's just, you know, caused people to pat themselves on the back. People are addicted to being right, Celine. So people also get that dopamine release when mm -hmm. they feel like they've won an argument. And so yeah. they just want to go out there and, and you know, so, I think each celebrity has to be careful and you know they have to make sure that they get all the facts and they wouldn't put themselves out there but just because they have a platform doesn't necessarily mean they're right or doesn't necessarily mean people will listen to them i don't think a lot of people do listen to celebrities on political issues maybe on humanitarian issues they'll listen but political issues i think you know the minute you become political you become divisive well you know here's the thing because of the phenomenon of hero worship <laughs> People are susceptible to, you know, kind of being influenced by the value systems and what these uh, celebrities try to bring forth uh, on their on their platform. So that which is what concerns me. Sometimes they um, promote unhealthy things like being overweight is fine. Now, I don't want to use names here, but there are some celebrities who say, you know, being fat is okay when it's really not. Being obese is okay. So it's like when that happens, it's um, you question whether uh, you question whether it's they're using the platform responsibly and uh, you know what is their, their intention behind that. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think people have to be very careful. I think a lot of times celebrities are very emotional people, yeah. so they get caught up in trends or they they read an article and they assume that that's the truth and they go off and kind of campaign on it but like you said there are some unhealthy and toxic behaviors that are being promoted and i think if they have the right people around them they might be cautioned but they don't keep people around them for caution and then the people around them for making them feel good in many cases um, anyway, so let's get back to to the legends. Uh, I think we went on a tangent there. Um, <laughs> oh, good I'm 
Yeah. So I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's difficult to get a break in Hollywood and hard work is definitely needed. That goes without saying, but how much does luck feature in the success of these stars? Like, don't you think Ooh. that definitely mm -hmm. plays a role into them coming up? Absolutely. I think that's a great question. I think it's true and I agree with it. And to put it in context, it, there's about a 5% acceptance rate for Harvard, about a 5% acceptance rate for Yale, mm -hmm. uh, even less for the U.S. Military Academy. Mm -hmm. It's about 100 times harder to break into Hollywood than it is to break into Harvard. Yes. And I think a lot of people don't really understand that, how competitive it is when 3,000 people will apply for one role. And it becomes extremely arbitrary because 50 or 100 people could do it. And so I think there's a role that luck plays because even with hard work, even with determination, even with putting yourself out there, yeah. you still may not get the lucky bricks. You can try to influence outcomes, but I know people who have been trying to break in for 10 years, 20 years, and yes. still haven't sort of broken in. I would question if they're truly called to it or if they're trying to do it because they want the fame and the accolades. So I think if you're called to something, things stuff happens for you. If you're not called to it, the doors tend to shut. And so I think being an actor is different than being a legend. If people want to be an actor, for, intrinsically for the sake of it, there are so many opportunities to at the local theater or, you know, going down to a school to teach kids or and kind of putting together a YouTube channel. There, if people want that, that's one thing. They can exercise their talents that way. But to break into Hollywood, that's a different thing. And I think it does require quite a bit of luck. And yeah. what's interesting and is power, though, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like you got to play, you know, there's like a power kind of, I, I'm trying to find the word, but it's like you have to understand how the inner workings of the industry and how to sort of play people. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It seems like that's the case. That's what yeah. I've heard, you know. You yeah, it's a very perfect. political industry. It is a political industry. Yeah, that's a better way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's very yeah political industry and it's not just who you know but who knows you and it's how much are you going to compromise not necessarily your ethics but compromise yeah. yourself yes. to fit in to, yeah. you know there's always the out crowd and there's the in crowd and the more you want to be in that in crowd the more you compromise yourself and i think people have to be very careful of that you know yeah I mean, what is the thing more right mm -hmm. i mean that's you know that's speaks to how some of the women had to go to very low levels mm -hmm. to actually break into the industry. I'm not saying that's the case for all of them, but that's an mm -hmm. example. Of, for many. You know, yeah. For many, it's been that way. And I remember being on set and I would hear, you know, because I've acted, but I've also directed and I'm a professor at UCLA, but I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm like you, a renaissance person. We're polymaths. Yeah. And so I've yeah. done a lot of things, but I remember being on set yeah. and hearing people talk about the actors or actresses and their looks even after the me too movement or talk about women behind the scenes and just commenting on their looks and not the most pleasant language yes. and yes. i think that that plays a big role there's not really a filter and yeah. part of the Viola challenge of, Davis of, was mm. one of those who were really attacked for her looks and mm -hmm. uh, you know you mentioned that her critics called her ugly and mm -hmm. But she didn't let it get to her, you know, and because she's so talented and she let that be her ticket to um, uh, to success. Absolutely. And I think what's interesting is people are very judged in Hollywood from the minute you submit an audition to the minute you get on set. You're constantly being judged. You're being analyzed. You're being evaluated. And it's not it's not just by the, the public or critics. It's by the directors, the assistant directors. It's by the producers on set. It's by the editors. It's by the hair and makeup people. It's by the costume people. It's by the crew guys. It's by the other actors. It's that internal voice, that self-critic. And there's just, just based on your looks, there, there are so many filters, so many people who are basically saying, I like this about you. I don't like that about you. And they're just more vocal about it in Hollywood. I remember even myself yeah. being upset. People were just yeah. very... Yeah. Yeah, they're just very, they, they, they think it's okay because for the most part, you're cast based on your look. The type cast exists and they cast you because they want you to fill a certain role. And, but you're constantly being judged and you're like in a fishbowl. And whether you're very famous or not even famous at all, people will look at your looks and 
you know, they will excoriate you unless you meet an arbitrary style or arbitrary fit that has been determined by mm-hmm. Hollywood or by Madison Avenue up in New York, which is totally arbitrary. Like if you look all around the world, Celine, different body images, body types, skin tone yeah. types are beautiful. So for some people, light skin is very beautiful. For other people, dark skin is very beautiful. And each culture has a different thing. In Hollywood, though, it's a certain type of thing. Yeah. And unless you meet that type of, quote, beauty, then you're not considered beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So how did, how did the legends, because I know, like, you know, in the past, you know, there was this issue with race, you know, like privilege, mm-hmm. when it comes to your racial background, for instance, Sidney Poitier, he was able to, you know, uh, you know, break that stereotype and somehow make it into Hollywood, despite him being a black man. And I, I love Sidney Poitier, by the way. He's such an extraordinary man. I've listened to his audiobooks and, um, you know, Measure of a Man. And I think, uh, I think privilege, too, plays a big part in it. And, and in the past, you were privileged if you were white, you know, you were the ones who got the top roles. And I think that stayed, it stayed that way for many decades until recently yeah absolutely and i think that even now we're struggling with there's a new report that came out of ucla that showed that diversity actually decreased over the last couple of years during the pandemic and especially on you know traditional movies traditional television and even though that's kind of the the you know the, the the idea of the moment but it's you know it hasn't really played out part of it is people in the industry about 93 percent of executives are white males and so they tend to surround themselves with folks that look like themselves. They tend to hire directors and writers that look like themselves. And this notion of diversifying basically is not necessarily seen as an economic imperative, but as a social justice initiative, even though diverse casts and even diverse crews actually show that there's more money that's made. So you will make double the box office with a diverse lead than you will with a non-diverse lead. And I think that we see we've seen that since Cindy Poitier's day, and we see it all the way up till now. But it's just Denzel in getting Washington. folks, yeah. mm-hmm, Denzel Washington, and, and yeah. it's getting folks to actually see the data on this, and yeah. and and not just kind of go to their own biases. Now, I, I don't necessarily know how aware people are of their own biases. One of the tests I do, I give an implicit bias test for a lot of my kids. Harvard's created a great one, and they get shocked at how many biases they have. And I think there are a lot of biases. And here's the thing. People can say they're not biased. Like a lot of white men, for example, have done studies, and they say, oh, I'm not biased. Then they actually measure their implicit bias based on their brain waves, and it shows they are biased. And so, you know, there hasn't been a lot of training. Right, the implicit bias test. Uh, Harvard implicit bias test. And, And so Harvard's made some strides but it has a long way to go for female representation, for people of color representation, for different types of representation and that exists. And it's tough, it's a struggle. Yeah. And just because it is so competitive and obviously with the writer strike going on, there's gonna be a SAG strike pretty soon, there's gonna be a director strike pretty soon. So the whole industry will mm-hmm. shut down and it makes it even more challenging for people to oh, break wow. through. Mm. But Disney's been pretty good about diversity like you know for instance the little mermaid they casted mm-hmm. black actress mm-hmm. as um, ariel and that uproar there were like mm-hmm. a review bombing that happened this week mm-hmm. i don't know if you read about that I, but it caused I, the IMDb. Mm-hmm. yeah IMDb had changed their whole rating system because they couldn't believe how how poorly <laughs> the movie got rated because wow. of the review bombing so mm-hmm. yeah it's just it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of people think that if something was one way before, then it has to always be that way. And, you know, the reality is we don't necessarily need to play into yeah. the the tradition or play into the past or play into the stereotype. And I think that's what these legends did so well. And they created their own rules and they didn't let those existing limitations stop them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one great example is The Rock, for example. A lot of people, they know he's this big buff guy, but the reality is when he first came to Hollywood, he slimmed down. And he was a little sick because that was the look of the leading men. They were Tom Cruise types. And The Rock, he wasn't a leading man then. He said, I just have to be me. So then he transformed himself and that, and he became his authentic self again. He was a When he was a wrestler, he was big. But he said, you know, I can't be this little guy. That's not who I am. And he would be able to kind of capitalize on who he really was, not on what the industry wanted him to be. Because, reallyously, Hollywood doesn't know what it wants. Hollywood 
it, yeah. it, it, it will go with whatever works. And people don't know. And there's a great, you know, screenwriter who said nobody knows anything when it comes to Hollywood. Nobody knows. And, you know, there's a lot of self-importance there. But the reality is nobody really knows. Right. And what role does networking play into the success of these legends? Do you think? Because I know for Kevin Hart, I listened to his uh, his book. Um, I loved his I love his story um, because he's so sincere and he's he's so hardworking. Honestly, he's one of the most hardworking people in Hollywood. Um, but he did a lot of networking uh, in his early days. Like he went to a lot of the comedy clubs, and he, you know, he, yeah, he was relentless about that. So based on the research that you've done, mm -hmm. how important is networking? Oh, that's so important. I think in Kevin's case, he would actually leave his business card behind in all of the audience seats just so he could get another gig in case they liked his show. said, hey, call me so I can do another show. And I think people have to realize that in Hollywood, it's in order to be successful, you have to network daily. It's like seven days a week. It's a full-time job, just networking outside of your job auditioning or directing or acting or whatever it is that you're doing. And yes. so I think it's extremely crucial and it's all, it's putting yourself out there and letting one connection lead to the next, which leads to the next and leads to the next. And I think a lot of times people don't like it. They think it's yeah. icky, yeah, but yeah. the reality especially is- Especially an it, introvert. Yeah, oh, the introvert yeah, in me especially like, for an introvert. <laughs> and also too, it's a new challenge. Yeah. I remember I was in Emmy's party, the Showtime Emmy's party a couple of years ago, and all these big celebrities are there. And I just remember, you know, somebody looking past my shoulder. They were looking over me to see if somebody more important was there. And oh, I remember the so resentment. Nice. I, I felt so nice. Selena, I felt resentment. I felt oh. bitterness. Oh. I forgave the person, but that's the mentality. People are always looking over your shoulder to see, see if there's somebody like more important. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so I think it's unfortunate that in order to yeah. display your artistry that you have to go through an industry like this that yeah. is very cutthroat or that is very based on appearances because reality is what i always tell people in hollywood is that people are only there temporarily so they're temporarily in their positions of fame or positions yes. of power positions of green lighting and you meet the same people going up as you do coming down and so the kindness is key not just as a strategic job function yeah. but just to be a good person be a good human and for the most part i'd say about 85 90 percent of the industry i've met they're yeah. pretty Pretty kind, pretty nice, but then you have those divas that get all the attention and the Harvey Weinsteins of the world and the others like that. And, you know, they, they give Hollywood a bad rap. I mean, there are a lot, a lot of narcissists in Hollywood mm -hmm. and they know how to play the game, right? They don't have to be the nice. You don't have to be nice. Like, you just know how to play the game. That's, yeah. that's just the truth, right? But I, so I'm wondering, like, is that what uh, sets these legends apart? Where they, I think you mentioned it, that they're very sincere mm -hmm. and that they, you know, they come from a heart-centered place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of them also are very humble. So The Rock, for example, I worked for Sandra Bullock once. Very humble people. Ironically, the celebrities who weren't as humble, maybe the more new school celebrities, the social media celebrities, or the folks who are kind of new to the game, and maybe they have a show on HBO, and I won't mention names, and they're known by a select number of people. Yeah. They tend, in my opinion, in my experience, to have a lot more ego, a lot more arrogance. Mm -hmm. And because they think they've made it, whereas I think the celebrities who have really made it, whose names are spelled and you know, is pronounced in Karachi, they tend to have a little bit more gratitude that, wow, this is what's yeah. happened. And in some ways, they don't feel they deserve it, even though they've put all the hard work in. It's almost like this, you know, they, they, they have this imposter syndrome going on. Yes. It's yeah. like, wow, I did this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I noticed that in personal growth and spirituality, too. Like, I'm a you know, it, when I, as a podcast host, I've noticed the ones who are really like the big names, they tend to be the most humble and the sweetest and the kindest. And people who are, you know, they're okay. Like you kind of know them. They tend to be arrogant. Like I've, I've noticed that, like, I, I, mm. you know, in general, I, I've, I've noticed that too. So I think that's- Yeah, it is interesting. I think it probably is a function of them being the greatest and being the best and being at the top of their game because people yeah. like them. And like, wow, this is actually a human being that I can relate to and that has struggles and has issues. And, you know, they, they put on their pants in the morning the same way that I do, and they don't see themselves as superior to me. And yes. I think that, you know, it's interesting. George Clooney says that to be a global celebrity, you really have five or 10 years at the top. And then after that, people yeah, sort of figure that to you. And yeah. I think that a lot of these new school celebrities are- true, people. though. I mean, is that true? Because it, it's, for instance, like Tom Cruise, like he's had a, 
he's had successful 40 year career 30 year career yeah yeah i think i i actually i i still think it's true Celine. i think that there are a lot of exceptions to it like tom cruise or tom hanks one of my favorites and yeah. and others like that but i think for the green. most they're yeah green. yeah but I, yeah. I, I still think they're probably only maybe 10 or 15 of them of maybe the top 100 global celebrities today they're they're very small doesn't mean that they're not famous but means that they don't necessarily have the same kind of drawing power, the firepower they, they once had. So what and, did they do differently, these people who have lasted mm, for so many years? Mm, I think they diversified their roles. So um, here's a good example. I think you have people who, like Tom Hanks, who's had such different roles that he's pursued. Meryl Streep's, for example, she has such different roles that she's pursued. She hasn't stayed stuck in one type of uh, acting job. Viola Davis, the same thing. So they've been pretty good about diversifying their roles. Even Jim Carrey, where when we were growing up, he was a comedian and he's done a lot more serious stuff lately. Yes. Jack Black, although not on this list, you know, you yeah. see a, di a diversification. Mm. Absolutely. And so I think they diversified and they also, you know, they, they took the aging process seriously that they started playing roles that were more age appropriate for them. They weren't always the superhero, you know, and and what now we know there's some movies today people are wondering why certain people were cast and they're so Indiana i don't think Jones. they're golden yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah he's what seven he's almost he's 80 and he's 80 i think he's about 80 now he's about if 80. i'm not mistaken 80. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think this is the last one he's gonna do but yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely and so yeah i think i think it's diverse they diversified and i think yeah. that's there's a lesson for all of us in that it's just diversifying over the course of your lifetime i think we live in yeah. an age of specialization and age where people tell you you have to be one thing, you have to choose it when you're 18 or 20 or 25. And the reality is we're such diverse human beings with multiple interests, multiple talents. And yeah. some of us have one talent, so we have 20 talents. And that we're, there's an expectation now that we can have multiple careers over a lifetime or multiple simultaneous careers. Yes. And I think that these celebrities did that. And I think the younger generation wants to do that too. I think they see that I have to do one thing for 40 years, that that is outdated and it's leading people to incredible unhappiness. Yeah. And we evolve too. We change over time. I mean, our course stays the same, but you know, our skills evolve, and we mm -hmm. and we learn more. So, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Does um, will Instagram cut us off at the hour? I, I'm not. Oh, I don't. Remember. I'm not sure. I'm not okay. sure. <laughs> no, I know. I think we started like. Yeah, I think we, I, I think we have time for one more question. Fantastic. Um, I'm sorry. I oh, said so fantastic. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. So um, what was interesting is a lot of these, well, most of these legends had very unusual jobs before mm. they got into Hollywood. So can you share some of them with us? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, Marilyn Monroe is one of my favorites. She grew up as an orphan, but she went to work in a factory and during World War II and when everything was going on and she was discovered in the factory, they said, who is this woman? And she didn't have blonde hair, she's brunette. And they said she has a look and she was discovered in the factory. I think one of my favorite is Clint Eastwood, who was a forest firefighter, and that, which was a lot of fun and also a lifeguard. Michelle Pfeiffer was a grocery store clerk. And a lot really? of them had very, yeah, yeah, really interesting background. And most of them weren't medical doctors, lawyers, or you know professors they had very humble jobs and you know i think partly that those things allowed them to want to pursue more because they didn't have the comfort uh, the stability that other positions provide but they had some really unusual experiences and a lot of them feel like that helped them those things helped them in kind of continuing to push the envelope they didn't want to stay where they were and contrary to popular opinion I can't think of really one that was a waiter or a waitress on the I list. I know, that's what's commonly, <laughs> that's the common, that's stereotype, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I know Kevin Hart was, he worked in the, as a shoe salesman, right? Like he was. Yeah, shoe salesman. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, they just did a variety of different Some things of that were. Janitors. Was it? Was it Steve Harvey who was a janitor so, or was it? So that's a no, great memory. James Cameron was a janitor oh, and he was a truck was driver as well. So oh, he was driving really? trucks. And, yeah, okay. he was, which is crazy because you, when you think of James Cameron, it's not just his creativity, but it's the brilliant, uh, brilliance of his technical intellect yes. that he invents all of his technology for his films. 
And, but he was a truck driver and he was a janitor and who would have known that a janitor knew engineering and physics and all yeah. of these types of things. And yeah. the reality is there's brilliant in every profession. And I think they're just, these celebrities are an example of that. But mm -hmm. I think we overlook so many people. Like if you were to, I'm a professor UCLA, Celine, if you were to ask me who's more interesting as a conversationalist, a cab driver in New York or a professor, and we won't name an institution, I, I say a cab driver. I agree. I've had some of the most interesting conversations with cab drivers. Yeah, they're smart. They're yeah. well-read. Yeah. They're intelligent. They're curious. Yeah. And I think that these celebrities had jobs that belied the fact that they were so deep and so searching and so smart and, and whatnot. I think it would do us a great service to realize that the people that we see out there every day who are taking orders and other things, that there is a deepness to them. There is a richness to them. Message. Yeah, and that we should treat them better than, than we do. And because they have greatness within them, so much to offer us. And if we can help inspire them, encourage them to pull it out, then they can leave so many great, you know, so many great contributions to society that we need. That's a beautiful message. Yes, I totally agree with you. And uh, I, I think what is the lesson we can take away from the fact that they mm -hmm. were not, like they didn't have any pride mm -hmm. when it comes to like, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it takes to get to the top. Like, I think, uh, what, what is the lesson we can take away from that? I think that humility is underrated in success. Humility is underrated in greatness. Humility is underrated in terms of becoming the person you're called to be. If people realize that the more humble you are, meaning that you recognize your limitations, recognize that you're only here for a finite time, recognize the strengths and the contributions of others, then it's going to make you more grateful in that process. It's going to make you enjoy the process. I think one takeaway is, and this is going to be a surprise, I think, for a lot of people, and that is these legends realized how much they had to rely on other people. That I think sometimes we have this American notion of pull ourselves up from the bootstraps. That's just not true. There are so many people that help us. You know, we have moms and dads who love us if we're lucky. We have teachers who care for us. We have people that pave our roads, people that make our clothes, people that pour our coffee, people that create the homes that we live in, people that build the planes that we fly in, that build the cars that we that we drive in. And I think these celebrities recognize that they needed to depend on other people. We're in such an individualistic culture, but they recognize, I think, the beauty of kind of some of these Eastern cultures, which is there's beauty in the collective, there's beauty yeah. in other people. And you can only see their beauty when you're humble. And so I think that's what unites many of them. They were humble enough to see that, not always, not at every moment throughout their life, but for the most part, they realized that these people added so much to their lives. And that they would be nothing without others. Mm -hmm. Preach it, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> thank, you, thank you. Oh, wow. What a great note to end our conversation on. Uh, Rob, thank you so much. Thank you so uh, much. Really, I really appreciate, appreciate it. this stimulating conversation and for adding so much value to, to our community. I genuinely appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And sorry again for being late and technical difficulties. That's <laughs> totally fine and thank you to everyone who joined us and participated in this session if you enjoyed our discussion i encourage you to pick up rob's book icons and legends success strategies of the world's most influential celebrities i believe it's available wherever books are sold uh, it's filled with inspiring stories and actionable steps that you can you can take in your own life and uh, yeah it's just a brilliant brilliant book uh, so have a great morning, afternoon, afternoon, evening, wherever you are uh, on the planet. And I uh, hope to see you again in the next Live with Celine. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.